0: Welcome to Smart Business Transformation number five. My name is Ben Ramsden, and I have a special guest for you today who's an expert in business transformation with over a decade of successful projects around the world. I think you're going to love my conversation with him. We talk about identifying the right starting point for transformation, how to identify people's motivations to change. How deep to go into the detail, and how to influence people in a distant location who don't report to you. Okay, let's get straight down into it. My guest was born in Mexico, studied accounting and finance, then joined one of the big four multinational consultancies. He worked on a number of projects across Central and North America. After three years, he moved across the Pacific Ocean and transferred to Australia, where he enjoyed a wide range of projects and roles, including the assessment of internal controls and financial reporting to digital transformation. His clients included major corporations in the mining, food, outdoor sports, transport, motor vehicles and industrial machinery sectors. After a decade in consulting, he moved client-side to a smaller organisation in the mining services sector. There, as financial controller, he was tasked with transforming the internal systems of a company of six divisions spread across 10 offices and 200,000 square kilometres. My guest is a client, he's bilingual, studying for his MBA and rumoured to be a bit of a tennis ace. I'm delighted to welcome Christian Cortez. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you, particularly because you've been in a multinational consultancy—you know, real—you know, customers, commercial incentives, full of, I presume, smart people who are just on top of their game most of the time. You've moved to an organisation that doesn't have many commercial incentives; it's almost a sort of government-type monopoly-type organisation, um, and you've done transformation projects in both. Yeah. Um, I was wondering whether you could just sort of talk about how one compares to the other, what the similarities and differences are and how you've had to adapt your style between one organisation and the other. I'll be happy to.
1: Um, look, I think the projects that I've been involved have been very, very different. Um, the ones where I worked at um, the consultancy firm varied between national, regional, and multinational projects, which they brought different opportunities and challenges um, as, as, them, as themselves. And in, in the new role in the organization that I've been working for the last year, it's been predominantly a state or regional business, but quite spread out, as you explained at the beginning, so, if I had to, to probably take a overview as to what have been the major differences on working on the previous role to this role, I would probably say um, starting point would be a, a good way to... Starting point. The starting point or the base yeah. where you begin your project. And let me, let me explain that, and maybe we can choose a different word to explain that. When, when you begin a project in an organization that has executed similar projects with the intent to change and therefore um, have, have documented the way they've done things, they have skilled people up, to to support you on on initiating a new one. The
0: capability is already in the organization. Exactly okay. the starting point. So
1: yeah. the starting point on a, an organization that hasn't really gone through a project like this, it's it's far far more behind, and therefore you might have to take a few steps forward mm-hmm. just to begin where you probably experience. Um, where you probably experienced this in the past. In the bigger organization that I work for, it's consulting. Um, well, one of the businesses that I have is consulting. And even if it's not um, the consulting business, they've experienced a number of transformations as um, it's heavily on commercial and therefore they continue to reinvent the wheel in order to maximize profits. So they're quite used to going through. Um, changes, documenting the changes, um, debriefing after the complete changes, and from their work out um, how can they how can they execute things better in the future. So there's a lot of IP already established and a lot of expertise mm. that you can mm. tap into before you commence mm. a project or before you actually get involved in these projects. Mm.
0: But of course, you haven't got that in your current role.
1: No, no, and that's that's why I think uh, in order just to explain. Um, uh, the big difference of what I experienced over the last year is um, this. This particular role started with an organization that it's been established for a long time. It hasn't changed as a result of of voluntary change. It's it's been more of a regulation, and as you pointed out. Um, in in your introduction, to some extent, um, a merger of different businesses, six divisions, and as a result of that, the reality is they hadn't really quite challenged what they were doing in the past, and as they've now moved into that stage, they've tried to put a bit of of structure to work out um, what templates do you need to have in place, um, what roles do you need to bring into the organization, but the reality is they haven't executed nor documented nor quite, um, I guess, passed on some of those experiences. So again, the starting point is is a lot more behind and the people that you may be interacting with are a lot more immature when it comes to finding their own way and navigating through these challenges.
0: Mm. So how have you had to adapt your style then?
1: Absolutely, I sure have. Um, probably the, the key thing for me was to work out how far do I have to go back <laughs> so I could start. And I actually had to go back to, to a point that I had never had to start. Um, and by saying that was just to actually start scoping out um, what resources internally what i rely on versus what did i had to do by myself and what other expertise was i was, was i going to have to tap into and because i was relatively new to the organization that took that took some time which meant that um, some of the earlier decisions that i made in relation as to what could i um, delegate had to change and who could i rely on had to change but uh, that's that's not really that's not really a concern. I guess it's just more explaining the journey as to establishing what your base, well, your starting point is, is yeah. know, what the baseline is. Yeah. In terms of adjusting the style, um, it really came down to understanding the culture, mm. the priorities, and how people thought of themselves, the organization and what the perception of transformation was, and whether they they were interested in, in changing and, and understanding what transformation was. And I guess um, I, I realized as I was working that myself that it was important for for people around me to, to understand that and to feel interested about what could that look like. and. What would, they, what would be the benefits to them if they were going through a change? And if they can understand that there's a benefit to them, then they can, they can be a little bit more proactive and they can be more supportive towards what you're trying to achieve.
0: So you're talking about this classic whiff and what's in it for me. It, how, how, does, how do the motivations in this sort of organisation compare to the motivations in, a, in another place? They're quite different, to be honest. Oh, really?
1: They're quite different. Um, when when I worked with with my previous employer, I think it's fair to say that um, the majority of the individuals were driven professionally, and and in in their own purpose and objective, they wanted to achieve. Something as part of their time in that organisation or as part of their involvement in certain projects.
0: So it's like a career-based motivation.
1: It's a career-based motivation to start with. Yes. And um, you bring people straight out of uni or with a few years of experience working in other places and you bring them into this umbrella of, of performance-based culture Um, brand recognition, um, just by joining and working with a place like that, you will add value to your professional career and you'll be associated with with a brand that is recognized in the workplace. That as itself had quite a bit of success in terms of getting people to to be motivated, to come in and Mm -hmm. wanting to contribute on Mm -hmm. getting something Mm -hmm. done engaging with customers, contributing with ideas mm.
0: to make things better. And I'm guessing you yourself uh, are driven by the same sort of motivation so that you can understand the people you're trying to change in the same sort of way. Absolutely. Now tell me about your current role, how, how that differs, if at all. The The
1: organisation in, in um, the role that I'm executing is is a lot more comfortable in terms of coming to work and delivering on what they had to deliver probably as as a minimum there is really not a lot of of incentive towards wanting to do more or achieve more and if you have to use the analogy of the carrot or the stick sometimes it's difficult to find either <laughs> and if you can't find the carrot or the stick so how how have you Being successful, then? By finding the carrot.
0: How did you do that?
1: Well, as I explained earlier, if you can explain to someone that by contributing to improve um, what they're currently doing, that can save them time in order to focus more of their efforts into more meaningful and satisfactory work that can, that can click and that can make them think I would like that, I would be more interested on spending less time on repetitive tasks that are not really um, interesting and I would prefer to eliminate those if I can so I can then either get out at, at the time that I want to get out and be on top of my workload, and not having to feel that I'm always running behind on doing what I have to do, or if I feel even more interested and challenged to to get involved in in other type of work that I feel it's more interesting to what I'm actually doing. So I
0: think I think that was something that worked well. I'm sorry, just so I can dive into that. Do you take people out for a beer and find out what makes them tick? Do you sit down with them in the office and just take a sense of what's going on around them? What's, I mean, how You make it sound quite easy, but I mean, how do you, it's probably intuitive. How, how do you actually do that? I think probably both of, of what you suggested. All of the above? All of the above. Which, Anything that works?
1: Well, it, it really is based on the individual. You need to understand a little bit of what the individual wants. What the individual thinks of of the individual's role. What is what is my if I, if I put myself on someone else's. Yeah, I guess that's the word. Putting myself on their shoes, and I can't put myself on their shoes until I understand a little bit more about okay. about themselves.
0: So it's good old-fashioned empathy, communication, yeah. listening.
1: Yes, okay. all of the above as well, and I I think um. If if you if you throw an order and direction to someone without understanding as to whether they understand what you're asking and they understand the reasons as to why you're asking for a change or questioning something that has been done in the past, that can be conflicting to the individual that you're that you're engaging with.
0: So that's like carrot and no stick. That's like stick and no carrot.
1: Yes, it's like okay. stick and no carrot. Mm-hmm. And I think that the people that had been in, in... Well, at least a couple of the individuals that had been in this role before I stepped in had that approach. Okay. And as such, there was a big separation between staff and the management team in finance. So I, I don't think there's a magic formula. I just think if you spend a bit more of time trying to understand the individual as a mm-hmm. person... Mm-hmm. And reminding them that, that they have a role and that role can be more interesting for them and more valuable to the organization. If they can contribute on, on improving things mm. as, a, as a general rule, mm. I think um, they start seeing some of those positives and they can come with a, with a more um, aligned mindset mm. as to what the organization wants to do or what, what I wanted to do at that point mm. in time.
0: Now you touched on the fact that this is happening in finance, and finance tends to be quite a conservative, rightly so. I mean, you're a financial controller, your, your job is to reduce and manage risk, keep control of things, and it tends to attract people that are like following processes and getting into detail. Mm-hmm. You now this to me, I would suggest, this makes it a particularly challenging environment to, to create transformation within. Um do you think there's any particular things you need to do over and above in a financial or you know, in a finance-type function as opposed to somewhere else that's more, uh, more risk-taking or more entrepreneurial?
1: I, I personally believe that finance it's, is quite a broad area. And before I would categorise myself as a finance person, I would say... I'm more of a business person and and I make that distinction between the technical ability to focus on on processes and getting numbers out and complying with regulations and requirements to to basically carry on business versus understanding the business part first and then overlaying the finance side into what the company is trying to achieve. So I, I personally think if if technical people focus on on just their technical strengths, they will probably have a difficult a difficult um, experience on trying to move across and understand broadly how to manage the technical discipline with what the organization or the business objective is. So I, I personally think if if you can take if you can take a step back and understand broadly what the purpose or objective of the role or the project is to the organization mm-hmm. and think think broadly as to what would be the benefits of an organization to introduce a set of changes, regardless of what the technical area is. There'll be a there'll be a more effective and valuable execution approach when you're actually undertaking that project or that initiative mm. to arrive to a better outcome mm.
0: So I think business first and we'll put finance into the context of that business
1: yes so in, in, in terms of your question around how, how do you then move away from the detail I don't think you need to know the detail when you're actually starting to work through a potential um, improvement. I think you first need to take a step back again and work out what does the end goal looks like and where where am I starting from? Again, the the comment that I made earlier around the starting point. If you can get comfortable with those two and, and there is a benefit to then dive in into the detail and start working through the mechanics of that, it will be much easier to not get too caught up on on the little things and the challenges
0: that will pop up as you're working through the project, I think. I love what you're saying. In a previous role, we used to talk about content and context. Content was all the detail and tends to be what most people spend most of their life in. Mm -hmm. And it's like noise. But if you can actually rise above the content and actually understand the context that's generating all that content, all that noise... You, you know, you can shortcut issues much faster. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know what the quote was about, um, I was going to write you a short letter, but I didn't have time, therefore I wrote you a long letter. Yeah. The idea of making something simple is actually quite quite challenging. Yes. It sounds like that's what you we are been able to do. Yes. I think I have, but
1: I'm still learning and developing.
0: Yeah. you probably half answered my next question then, because... Um, you and I both worked in roles in corporate headquarters in technical functions where we've been trying to create influence across operational divisions often geographically remote and in those divisions it's quite people are quite rightly focused on just getting the job done and tend not to be very excited about the next directive that comes in from HQ that's somewhere else. Now have you been able to Get get traction at the work fo- at the at the coalface, um, you know, in distant divisions. What's what's been the secret there? Do you think? I personally
1: think that I had the ability and the opportunity to work on business divisions as well as headquarters and some of those. Um, Global projects. You've been in their shoes, so I've been in their shoes, and I and I felt frustrated a number of times with some of the stuff that corporate would throw at us without thinking broadly. Is this actually practical? Is this actually beneficial to the business, mm-hmm. rather than just adding another layer of processes that may distract? Um, I guess the the may uh, may distract you from delivering the business outcome that you've been in you've been tasked with, and um, the, the global project that I represented my particular territory at had a similar view. They were trying to develop a global solution that was going to fit everyone across the organization, and, and this was a, a digital or technology project that would have an impact around 60,000 people around the world. 60,000. people around the world. And they were heavy on technology, infrastructure, and a digital experience uh, feel to it, but without really working out what was going to be the underlying benefit to the business. Oops. So as a result of that, when you get people from all over the world to start working on the design of the project, or, or the product in this case, it starts getting really difficult to contribute as a business unit or as a territory. I was, I was representing Australia, so therefore my, my um, mandate on that project was for me to, to um, make sure that, as they were designing and building the project, it was going to be something that we could adopt in Australia. And I was representing effectively six different businesses in Australia. And A, I didn't have a good understanding on four of the businesses that I was representing, which as itself was a deficiency, probably, or or just lack of representation from the territory. And B, it's it's not quite easy to to land um how are you going to adopt something where you don't where you don't know or you can't quite articulate what the business benefit will be
0: and you said that very politely <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how did you do it well i had to reach out to my colleagues in my territory and i had to socialize my my ideas mm-hmm. i was quite enthusiastic about it because i could see that that um, parts of those um, products, or at least the technology side, sitting behind some of these products, products had been taken into a different segment in Germany, and they were using different um, permutations.
0: Oh, I see. So you can see the potential I there. See it the just potential.
1: wasn't it? Wasn't well presented to the local market? Exactly,
0: and at the at, I
1: guess. The project was so ambitious because what they were trying to do, they were trying to bring um, the organization across the world in one single platform. Mm. And obviously it had a number of regulatory requirements, um, privacy requirements, mm. and specific, mm. specific mm. issues to address from a local perspective. And was it ultimately successful here in Australia? I left just after implementation. Okay. I'm assuming that there were some quick wins mm. because those were the ones that I was trying to focus on the most.
0: And how did you manage to turn this thing that was you know had a good concept behind it but wasn't well presented into something that was actually fit for rolling out in the local market? We had to face it into different
1: stages and the first stage I really focused on the business unit that I was effectively working for. The one that you knew the best. The one that I knew the best. And I really focused on on I guess the the quick big wins if it makes okay. sense. And put the rest of the stuff on the back
0: burner and call it face two. Okay. So, so you focused on what you a knew. Little bit. What you knew, what was gonna deliver yeah. the, other the thing, biggest value soonest.
1: The other thing that I did that probably some of my colleagues on other territories didn't do, is actually, I actually sat down with a client. I brought a prototype to, to a client, and I had a really good relationship with that client. Well, it was effectively an ex-client, so therefore there wasn't that concern as to whether they were going to think badly about the product and whether they were going to have a bad experience about it. So I sat down with the technical team, and I explained just roughly the purpose of the exercise and I let the technical guys run it. Mm, mm. And after that I sat down over a beer with my ex-client and just asked what they, what they thought of it and how would they compare that with some of the products that the competitors were offering. And that allowed me to think of, of whether it was going to be a tangible improvement to what we already had in place and um, where we probably had to defer, if it was introducing more complexity or risk to what we already had. So I think um, I think that was quite well received, and it's something that I think some others tried to replicate after I after I shared my results. But um, I guess bottom line, breaking it down, trying to find. The, the simplistic way to make it work without mm. trying to mm. get
0: everything to work is,
1: is a good example in that particular
0: don't product. boil the ocean How, or, is that? don't boil the ocean eat the, ele- eat the elephant in bite-sized chunks sorry, too many analogies <laughs> I know the second one <laughs> we, can, we could talk about this all day you've got limited time so perhaps I could just move to my final question which yeah. is uh, a little funny one to finish off with If you think back at everything you've bought recently um, under $100 what's been the most useful thing under $100 that you've bought and why? Probably the Fitbit.
1: The Fitbit? The Fitbit. Why? Why? Because it it reminds me that I have to continue to be Monitoring my level of activity throughout the day and through the week. And it gives me the opportunity to do something about it, act on it, rather than
0: get to Sunday and think, oh, I only exercise twice this week. Christian Cortez, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. My pleasure, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know whether you have people follow you or like people reaching out to you, but if you do, how could people reach out to you or would you prefer they didn't? Well, I don't know. You're going to have to guide me on this. Well, are you on LinkedIn, for example? I am on LinkedIn. So people can connect up with you there? Yes. Christian
1: Cortez. And I should I should pop up. I think I'm the only Christian Cortez in
0: Australia. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a differentiator. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ben. Well, I'm sure that you all agree Christian is modest quietly spoken, and makes it sound so easy. Now, at risk of oversimplifying his formula, I've identified three key value bombs from what he was saying. The first is to identify the right starting point. Look, projects often have massive ambitions. Uh, People are very keen to get going. But unless you start at the right place and keep people on side, you're, you're lost from the word go. So I think that's a really good one. His second point is to focus on the benefits to those directly involved. Sure, all projects have benefits for the whole organisation, but what about those who are directly impacted by what's going on? You've got to make sure that they understand what it's about and be motivated, otherwise you don't get anywhere. And the final point was break it up into bite-sized chunks. You know, projects are often enormous. Uh, They can be almost overwhelming. And you have to just take one step at a time and move forward at a speed that people can cope with. So they were the three value bombs I saw. Thank you, Christian. I think your work is awesome. Please do keep doing what you're doing because it's helping so many people and organisations. Now, if you want to connect with Christian, then do look him up on LinkedIn. I'll put a link in today's show notes at SmartBusinessTransformation.com. There you can also get a free copy of my book, Right is wrong. Eight essential steps to avoid the pitfalls that smart people make when transforming their organisation. It will only take you 15 minutes to read and could save you months of angst. In fact, many thanks to David Senior, who's head of group planning and reporting at TalkTalk in the UK. Inspiring and thought-provoking was his praise for my book. And I'd love to hear from you too. If you've got a question or a comment about business transformation or simply want to say hello, then do drop me a line. So go to smartbusinesstransformation.com now.